Well, hello, and welcome to the Live Inspired Podcast. I am John O'Leary, and I'm so happy to share with you stories that empower you to do, to be, to achieve, and to impact more through your life. Maybe more simply said, I'm fired up to share with you stories that help you live inspired. After today's episode, I hope you share with your friends, your family, your colleagues, your letter carrier, your dog walker, that stranger seated next to you on the bus ride, that lady working out right next to you, the guy checking out in front of you. In other words, share with everyone that you're listening and that you are subscribing to the Live Inspired podcast. Together as a Live Inspired community, we can change the world. And now, let's get started with today's episode. Welcome to the Live Inspired podcast with John O'Leary. John is the number one national best-selling author of the book, On Fire. He's a world-class inspirational speaker, and he's the host of the Live Inspired podcast. John interviews extraordinary individuals on their life story so that you can wake up from accidental living and more fully live your life story. Here's your host, John O'Leary. Well, hello, my friends, and welcome to Live Inspired Podcast with John O'Leary. You know, sometimes I open up with questions, other times short stories, this time a quote. Here we go. Robert F. Kennedy said these words, few will have the greatness to bend history itself, but each of us can work to change a small portion of events. It is from numberless diverse acts of courage and belief that human history is shaped. Each time a person stands up for an ideal or acts to improve the lot of others, or strikes out against injustice, they send forth a tiny ripple of hope and crossing each other from a million different centers of energy and daring those ripples build a current which can sweep down the mightiest walls of oppression and resistance. It's a big quote from a huge political figure, but I think it's gonna play directly into what we're talking about today because we have become, in some regards, a culture all too aware of what is bad, of what is broken, of what is wrong. But very seldom do we actually have the audacity to stand up and to move in that direction to actually make a difference, even if it's just a small difference, a tiny ripple effect of hope. Well, our guest today is sending out a million little ripple effects of positive hope. Every single day in the United States, 46 sets of parents learn that their child has cancer. Headbands of Hope strives to make a difference not only for those families, but specifically for those kids. And the leader of that organization, the mastermind behind this movement, the author of the book herself, her name, Jess Ekstrom, is joining us right now to talk about that challenge, the opportunity we have in our lives, and the ability in your life, and I'm talking to you right now, your life, to be that ripple effect of hope, of goodwill. So my friends, on this podcast, on the front side, I encourage you right now to buckle up, open wide your hearts, your minds, your journals. You are called to be that difference. Jess is going to teach us how. Jess Ekstrom, welcome to Live Inspired with John O'Leary. Thank you for having me. Man, quite the intro. Thank you. <laughs> you deserve it. <laughs> you know, here's this lady on the road in the Airstream. Talk about for our <laughs> listeners right now who do not yet know what Jess Ekstrom is. Tell us who you are. What do you do? Yeah. 
My story really begins at Disney World, of all places. I was in college. I was a, decided to do this internship in Disney as a photo pass photographer. I was taking people's pictures from all over the world. And my favorite thing that I got to do was I got to photograph kids that were there on their wish through the Make-A-Wish Foundation. And so I fell in love with what they were doing there. I interned for Make-A-Wish and... When I was there, one of the things I noticed was that a lot of kids who were losing their hair to chemotherapy loved to wear headbands after hair loss. And so many of them would be offered a wig or a hat. And a lot of them really didn't care about covering up their heads. They just wanted to feel good about themselves. Mm-hmm. And headbands were the perfect way to do that. So April 25th, 2012, I launched Headbands of Hope. And for every headband sold, we donate one to a child with cancer. And to date, we've donated headbands to every children's hospital in America and 15 countries now. So just just stay there for a moment longer. Then we're going to rewind the tape and learn about how you did this and maybe how we can follow suit. How many headbands, as you add them up one by one, have you been able to ship out across the United States and around the world? We are just over half a million now that we have shipped out all over. And those are half a million donated. Um, And so any Children's Hospital in America, we have been there. We actually just started these DIY headbands in the hospitals in partnership with Sharpie, where the kids can actually color in their headbands and design them themselves, which has been really fun. Way cool. So we become, I think eventually who we grow into through the experiences of the past. You mentioned Disney, you mentioned Make-A-Wish. I want to come back through both of those in a moment, but it starts even earlier than that. Your your, your mm-hmm. family seems uh, foundational and formational in who you become. Just brag for a moment about your upbringing. Oh, I would love to brag. My dad, when I was a kid, he walked home from work one day and was like, today, it was my last day of work. I am stopping what I'm doing. I want to start a business and I want your support. And me being a kid and my sister, I had no idea what he was talking about. I was like, why would he leave this stable job? And, you know, he turned our upstairs bathroom into his office and started this company. But it was like firsthand, I got to see someone who believed in something so much where they were willing to put it on the line and solve a problem that Mm. they saw. And so I think I was super fortunate, not just from the support that I had as a family, but like a front row seat to watching someone's ambition and the late nights and the early mornings and the times when it didn't work out, but then making those wins that much sweeter. So there's your father and and alongside of him, I know an incredible individual in your life, your mother. Talk about your mom. Well, it's so funny. So my mom, when my dad was uh, starting his business, he was super stressed and like all over the place. So my mom went upstairs to the bathroom. That was his office and said, honey, can I get you something to drink? Like make you a sandwich or something. And he was like, actually, could you run customer service for my company? My mom was like, sure. So she turned the downstairs bathroom into an office. And 10 years later, the company got acquired and my dad will kill me for saying this, but the acquiring company kept my mom and (laughs) not my dad (laughs) after they got, I mean, he was great, but he didn't have anything else to do there. But so they both. Is she still in the downstairs bathroom or have they allowed her this new organization to free her from the chains of that bathroom? She's been freed and believe it or not, they have been traveling in an RV themselves for five years and they just became park rangers. So they inspire me in a lot of ways, even outside of business. 
Well, they're not alone. There's one other individual as I read your stuff and, and follow you online that just seems to be an incredible character. It's your grandfather. Talk about grandpa. Yeah. My grandpa, he is one of those people that he throws darts. And that was like something that I, sometimes we feel like we have to have this exact strategy of how we're going to get somewhere. Whereas my grandpa just throws it all out there. And so I learned from him to just like make the ask pick up the phone and call someone. If there's something you want, just do it. It was funny. I was a few years ago, I was in this magazine and I was meeting with the editors, you know, after the issue came out and they said something at the office. They were like, man, like your grandpa is a character. And I said, wait, how do you, how do you know my grandpa? And they're like, well, he calls the office every day asking for more copies to give to his friends. I was like, dang it, grandpa. Like, <laughs> Just stay in your lane. He like called, found the number, hunted him down. So I think I definitely get my persistence from him. It's nice to be loved, even if it's by blood alone. Exactly, exactly. So I have a lot to be grateful for when it comes to family. Jess, when did you realize that not only did your father have that entrepreneurial bug, but his daughter got it as well? When I started selling my American Girl dolls on eBay. <laughs> I was a kid and I was like, I discovered eBay. I thought it was the coolest thing. I can make money for things that I own. And I got a white sheet from my mom's linen closet and I put it in my bedroom and I borrowed my dad's digital camera and I would pose my American Girl dolls on this white sheet as product photos and upload them onto eBay and say things like, oh, this one's a hot commodity, you know, it's going to go quick, better, better get it while it's hot. And then my operation got shut down when I started selling my sister's toys. That's unfortunate. Yeah. Deservedly <laughs> so though. I'm glad the operation was, was shut down. Yeah. Y you clearly have a mission heart. And I think as individuals are about to hear the story that you're going to be sharing, it's easy to make the mistake like, well, that's just who you always were. Mm -hmm. Did you always have this crazy heart for others? I mean, you have a, I think it just in reading you, like you got a heart for life, this passion yeah. and vibrancy. Was it always directed toward those around you? No. Clearly not for your sister you. as you're stealing yeah. dolls and selling them for profit. No, right? Sorry, Heather, if you're listening. But I, I think when I was a kid, you know, I, we have this optimism that's almost innate in us. We haven't really equated our, scrape knees to our self-worth and we just kind of believe in better. And then sometimes something happens that kind of rattles that belief. And I think for the younger years of my life, I really did have that heart and that passion for good. And then it wasn't until my senior year of high school, my family was involved in this very public scandal. You hear headlines in the news, you, you kind of file it away and you say, that'll never happen to me. And then when it does, you just kind of start to question all these like beliefs that you thought you had and, and this life equation that you've added up. And it was a really tough time for my family. Do you mind if, because I've never met an individual affected by the scandal you're referring to. Mm -hmm. Are you yeah. free to talk about what, what the scandal was or would you rather not? Yeah. And um, the, the I, reason I asked just for our listeners sake, like we hear these headlines and we think mm -hmm. it's them, like those people. That organization, right. the, the, the wealthy upper crest, or, or those people in that country. And it's always a group. It's very rarely personal. And when right. I read this about you, like, I, I could not believe that a very ordinary family was directly and radically in a negative way affected by this mm -hmm. event. So talk about it. 
I'll be honest, John, it was something that I really battled with is, is for so long I kept it in my closet. So I'll give you kind of the, what happened, what, how I was experiencing this. I came down the stairs one day to go to school and we have this morning routine in my family where my parents go to the gym in the morning and we have like the news on and, you know, getting breakfast before me and my sister would go to school. And I remember going downstairs this particular morning and the news wasn't on and it was kind of dark and my parents just seemed like zombies and was just so out of character. And I remember asking, you know, what was going on and it was during, you know, our exam week and they said, you know, don't worry about it. Focus on your exams. We'll talk about this later. And I told them I didn't really think I'd be able to focus, you know, knowing that something was up. My mom left the room and my dad came over and he just said, look, we've lost all of our money, but it's going to be, it's going to be okay. We're going to be fine. Don't worry about it. And I'll be honest, it didn't really hit me upside the head. I, right. I was, what, 16 years old. I all I cared about was like right, like, prom or whatever, you know, I didn't have a concept of finances, but I remember getting in the car and my dad came outside again and asked us to roll down the window. And he said, Oh, don't turn on the news today. I thought it was weird, but I didn't think much of it. I got back from school that afternoon and I went in the, this room by the garage where there's a TV and they didn't know I was home yet. And I turned on the news and I saw Bernie Madoff's face on every channel. And I just remember sitting there and hearing like these snippets. I mean, just fraud and billions of dollars and victims. And I couldn't even like piece together what was happening. But what people don't know that I am talking about for the first time in Chasing the Bright Side is Bernie Madoff is in my family. He is my mom's uncle and someone that I've tried to dissociate with for 10 years, but now I'm finally realized like that was our experience as a family, but it's far from our full story. Yeah. And that is something that I want to show people in Chasing the Bright Side is like, we can't always control what happens, but we can control the meaning that we give to it and how we respond. And now looking at this story, I mean, that was 2008 over 10 years later, I can see how that one single experience wrote completely different stories for all of us. I just think it's so courageous for you to share that in your book, but also during this podcast, it, it makes real the headlines. Like the, these mm -hmm. greed affects people. And it doesn't only infect people, like it affects families. It affects Main Street. It affects a 16-year-old who eventually may not be able to get a prom because the finances yeah. aren't what we what we once expected. When you experience something like that as an individual, even as a teenager or as a family, you can either become bitter about it or you can become more compassionate and made better because of it. Mm -hmm. How long before you became tougher because of Uncle Bernie's decisions and uh, how it affected your family? You know, sometimes there's this pressure to find the silver lining in everything. Like once something bad happens, you're like, well, what does this mean? Right. And, you know, jump out of bed the next morning and you're like, I'm a warrior, you know, seize the day. And that... That's not what happened, you know, right after this. I mean, we were completely blindsided and my family lost all of their money. And not only that, the people that we loved most were on every channel of the news, relatives. And I'm like, I just saw these people at Thanksgiving. Like, right. what is happening? And so it wasn't this immediate, like, jump to the happy place. And I think that sometimes we feel that pressure to be happy all the time and kind of live life at the highest volumes and 
optimism is not about staying in your happy place. In fact, sometimes it's about sitting in the dark, absorbing it, and then fully coming to some understanding of, okay, what can I do about this? It was a year or two, I went to college, and it started to make me have this redefine the American dream. I'm like, what is it that I'm working towards? Because I felt like my parents did everything right. You know, they Mm -hmm. worked hard, they saved up, and then something happened. Like, so what is it that I want to work for? And when I think about that, it was something that if everything blew up one day, if everything in my business or whatever it is I'm working towards suddenly ceased to exist, the work would still be worth it. I could still look back and say, well, none of it was wasted. Mm. And so I started looking at the world through a lens that I could fix it. And all of a sudden, these problems I came into counter with wasn't someone else's problem. It could be mine. And I like to call it inspiration from frustration. When we're frustrated about something, instead of just getting mad, what if we were inspired to do something else? And so now, and something I address in the book is that hard times actually give us a choice. They can either be the excuse as to why we do less, or they can be the reason as to why we do more. And it took me a couple years, but eventually this story of being related to Bernie Madoff was the reason as to why I wanted to do more. What a great foundation and what a, what a firm place that we can leap off of into this worthy conversation around what you're doing with that experience and that knowledge today. You become familiar with Make-A-Wish, which is one of my absolute favorite organizations. So for those listening right now that are part of Make-A-Wish, we love you. You guys are awesome. Yeah. You have an opportunity your sophomore year, I think, in college to intern with them. And one of your very first experiences with them as an intern is a little girl named Renee. Talk about Renee. Mm-hmm. Renee, she's four years old and she wanted to go to Disney World, but specifically to meet Sleeping Beauty. And she was very clear about those terms. <laughs> <laughs> and this was my the first time that I got to really be involved in a wish. Mm. And so I was so excited about it. I worked with the parks and Disney to make sure that Sleeping Beauty could be there for all of her meals. And I planned this going away party with her and her friends that was like princess themed. And it was a week before she was supposed to go on her wish. And she had this doctor's visit. She'd been having some symptoms. And so they went in and they did a scan and she was in this new treatment for a brain tumor that she had. And up until that point, they thought everything had been working. And in this checkup, they did an MRI and realized that they were wrong. And there was something that they hadn't seen before. And they told her that she was too sick to go on her wish they just sent her home Mm. to focus on quality of life. And so similarly to what I was saying earlier, you know, it was just like this experience that I couldn't control, but maybe there was a different story that I could, I could involve myself in. And so in this knee jerk reaction, I just went onto Google and I looked up these local costume shops. And (laughs) a few hours later I arrived on her doorstep (laughs) dressed as Sleeping Beauty and did everything I could to try to make her wish come true that day. I spent the whole day with her and her family and character. She totally bought it, by the way. It was, I mean, the clearest before and after moment of my life. And this 
need that I saw for headbands was this like flicker of an idea that was in the back of my head. But I feel like this moment was like the cure scene that turned it into this flame of like, okay, I, I have to do something about this. So Jess, I have had the honor of presenting at some very large organizations and being part of some very influential groups from time to time and holding the microphone in front of them, getting ready to walk into the room. I got butterflies massively. Anytime I speak, I'm nervous. But when I am most nervous is actually not when I'm walking in front of a group of board members or um, an auditorium or stadium. It's actually when I'm walking into one room, a hospital room for a child. Mm. Even thinking about it right now, I can barely talk. Like it really just stirs something within me. I can barely move. And I feel like I've had some experience doing this. Now I get to do it a lot, which is an honor. That very first time that you walk into Renee's, not only her hospital room, her house, where this little girl is too sick to travel, you know she's dying. As you're getting ready to push the doorbell, what, what are you thinking? Man, that's a great question. That's something I haven't tapped into for a while, but I remember pulling up in the car in this Sleeping Beauty outfit And, you know, sometimes we can like second guess ourselves when we're trying to do something big and think like, should I be doing this? Is this, is this the right thing? And in that moment, I just was echoing this idea that like failure will always feel better than regret. And I would rather just go for it and do this than wonder, could I have done something more? Of course, it wasn't a failure. It ended up being great. But sometimes when we have that like cement feet before we walk on stage or before we even just raise our hand or something in a meeting or put our name in the hat for a promotion, we can feel like, is this us? You know, is this my turn? Mm -hmm. And in those moments where we really feel that heart rate going up and your palms get a little sweaty, I challenge you to think failure will always feel better than regret because at least you have a story. What ended up happening with Sweet Renee? So unfortunately, um, a couple weeks later, she ended up passing and her mom called me. And to think that her mom would even just think of me as someone to call, like I couldn't believe it. And she told me that she was at peace because she got everything she ever wanted. Mm. And I was a part of that. Like that feeling of, I'm not living a life right now. I'm building a legacy was something that became really important to me of like, I don't want to look back years from now and wonder if I did enough. And even if that means that I'm going to experience some hurdles, I'm going to try things that don't work. I'm going to maybe make a bad business deal or two. At least I'm going for it. And so it was really that phone call in this moment with Renee that solidified that this is my reason to do more. And that's what optimism is all about. It's not about a mood or an emotion or being happy. It's a strategy for better. And so that's what I want in Chasing the Bright Side for people to read it and realize it's okay if you don't have it all figured out. It's okay if you don't know what you're going to do tomorrow or what your five-year plan is. If we just have this rooted belief in what could be, then we will figure it out. I love it. And it ties into, uh, I think, where we're going. I had the opportunity yesterday of sitting with a lady named Lisa Brennan Jobs. She is the daughter of a guy named Steve Jobs, who did a little bit of- I've read her book, Small Fry. Yeah. She sure wrote Small Fry, and she painted one image of Steve. Steve's, uh, his life is wild. Some of it incredibly powerful and beautiful and redemptive, Mm -hmm. and other parts- 
places you'd probably rather rather not visit. But one place where we are going to visit right now says Garage. That's where it all began. That's where the Apple eventually is going to be born. Well, Headbands of Hope started not in a garage, but a place not much larger than a garage, your, your college dorm room. <laughs> Talk about those early days, man. So you, Steve Jobs has the garage. You got the dorm room. Yeah, I mean, we're, you know, basically on the same level. You're yeah, peers. exactly so, peered with jobs. Well, and that's and that's the crazy thing it, to think about where everyone began, to think that every expert you know was once a beginner. I think that is one of the most empowering thoughts. I mean, there was a day where you, John, first walked on a stage the first time, and maybe it was in front of like three people or something, but you had to break the seal of like what this life was about to be. And so I think it's so important for people who have amounted to any level of success to peel back the curtain and say, but this is where I began. Mm -hmm. And so for me, it was in my college dorm room. I had this idea to bring headbands to kids with cancer. I was a communication student. I joke, I couldn't even spell entrepreneur, but Still can't probably spell it. It's always a tough <laughs> word. But I was just trying to look at the things that I had right in front of me. I went over to the business school at my university, asked professors for 15 minutes of their time. I'm like, okay, what are taxes? And should I be concerned about them? I needed a logo for headbands. I walked over to the graphic design school and I walked into this class after it got out and introduced myself to the professor and was like, you know what would be a great idea is if your next class assignment, everyone in the class had to create me a logo for Headbands of Hope, and I picked the best one. Mm. <laughs> and that was how I got my first logo. That's and awesome. then I needed a website. I didn't know how to build a website. I paid a computer design student in Chipotle burritos every day for her to build my landing page. And little by little, things started to come together, not by thinking about what I didn't have. Like, oh, if only I could have investors or if only I could have, you know, X, Y, Z, but thinking about what's right in front of me. And I think sometimes when we think about our goals and our dreams, we are pressured to just shoot for the moon, which can be great sometimes. But sometimes we have to think about what feels light to us right now? Like what seems manageable to do today? Because when we set the bar so high and so far, then sometimes we end up doing nothing because anything less than that feels like not right. enough. Correct. And so like, what are the things that are right in front of you that you can do today? And then the small things add up over time. When I look back, like over Headbands of Hope the past seven and a half years, it wasn't this one big thing that I finally did that catapulted us into some, you know, successful orbit. It was the summation of all the small things that eventually turned into something big. Well, part of the small things are loving the person right in front of you. Mm -hmm. And at UNC, you get to meet a little girl named Taylor. Yeah. Uh, you know, the, the experiences you have, man, what, what a gift. But little Taylor is going to teach you quite a bit. Talk about Taylor and just that experience, how it helped shape you. Well, I'll admit there was this period about three or four years into my business where things started to get blurry. I think when you start something, you're like at the bottom and there's no distractions. It's so clear. I'm starting this because I believe in that. This is the transformation I'm going to have on people. But then as you start marching down that road, all of a sudden I have staff, you know, working for me and I have payroll and I have 
warehouses and contracts. And so the layers in between like what you're doing and why you're doing it start to become further. Like there's more layers. And so I started to get kind of lost down this path of like, why am I here? And then there was this trade show that we were doing in Atlanta where stores from around the world come in and they pick their products for the upcoming season. And I had paid, you know, at the time, what was a lot of money to go on to this show and this trade show. And I ordered these tags to go along with the headbands in the booth, these hang tags. And it was a day before the show and the tags were lost in the mail. And it was like this thing, this silly thing that I was like thinking this was the most important thing in the world right now were these hang tags rewind about a week before that I was at UNC Children's Hospital and I met this girl named Taylor and she's 15 and she picked out this like purple and green headband and we were talking and she was telling me that she was feeling kind of down because she was seeing on social media that Everyone at her school was getting asked out to prom and going prom dress shopping with their moms and prom was not in the works for her. She had been in the hospital for two years at that point, which is insane. And so I told her, I was like, you know, I'm going to Atlanta for this trade show, but when I come back next week, I'll come back here and we'll have our own prom. You know, we'll get dressed up and take pictures and listen to music And so she was so excited and she adds me on Facebook Messenger and we're chatting and she puts together this Spotify playlist for our prom and and I'm in Atlanta and I remember exactly like where I was standing. I was on the phone with this tag company just losing my mind over these silly hang tags and I got call waiting from this unknown number and I think it's like a sales call or something. And I switch over the line. I'm like, hello. And it was Taylor's mom. And she was calling to tell me that Taylor passed away the night before. And she wanted those same purple and green headbands that she picked out for every female in her family to wear to her service the next day. It was this moment where I just froze. Mm. And I just felt like I had been moving and fast forward and someone hit the pause button for me. I felt like the weight of this like anchor, I mean, pulled me down and I didn't even realize I was floating. When I think back to this moment, my narrative in my head was, oh, once I can get on a big network television show, you know, I'm going to feel like I've done something. Mm-hmm. Or once I can get on the cover of a magazine or once I can get on one of those like 30 under 30 lists or once I can get, you know, one, two, three million dollars in sales or once I can get on QVC. And I started like setting this calendar to like feel something. And then all those things happened and they would just come and go. And Taylor in this moment taught me that those things that I'm listing are my achievements which are these like tangible milestones, but they're not success. Success is something that can't be measured. It can only be felt. And so I think Taylor really helped me navigate, you know, am I chasing something based on how it looks or how it feels? Mm. Do I want fame or do I want influence? Because those are two completely different things. You wrote a book where you outline many of the stories we're talking about and a whole lot that we won't have time for. It's called Chasing the Bright Side. 
Why that title? Because I think that we'll never arrive somewhere. It's we're always on the way. And if we can just believe that the future is good, then maybe we'll be the ones to create it. <laughs> you know, playing off of that, one of the quotes from the book that I'm borrowing right now, and I, may, I might be saying this a little bit wrong, but it, it basically is this. It's like one flicker of hope is all it takes to catapult yourself in a, in a direction you never even imagined. One Mm -hmm. flicker of hope. Talk about the power of one flicker of hope. Because as I see it, that's what you do with the patients and the families that you serve, that you provide in a simple headband. Nothing overly fancy here. One flicker of hope. What I think takes us out of the game is when we put this pressure to scale. It's like, well, if I can't solve hunger, then why give a meal to the one person right in front of me? And something I uh, put in the book that I'm surprised my editor didn't cut out is if you can't give a rotisserie chicken, then give a chicken nugget and it, give what you have. A headband is a small, small accessory that can make a big impact. And so what can you do today? And optimism is about looking at the world through a lens that we can fix it and then instilling that responsibility within us. Because just because something isn't our job doesn't mean it can't be our responsibility. So Chasing the Bright Side is about just looking at the world through anything that could be better, anything that could be done more efficiently, areas of need, you know, someone who's being bullied. Mm. What if it was our job, our responsibility to make that change? Your book has been out for only a couple of weeks. And I know already the feedback you've been receiving is outstanding. Is there one story from someone who read the book, was moved by a story that has impacted you profoundly? Something you want to share with us right now? The book was released at this speaking engagement that I had. And this girl came up to me after and there was a line and she asked me to sign her book and take a picture. And she said, she was kind of timid, you know, kind of reserved and super sweet. And she said, this is the picture I'm going to hang in my office one day and say, this is the girl that changed my life. (laughs) And I'm like crying and thinking about that. I'm like, that one, like you said, one flicker of hope. It's that one person standing right in front of you that maybe you can have an impact on them today. So don't miss that chance. Well, you know, it goes back to the quote, and I didn't know where this conversation really was going to go, but Kennedy, a few will have the greatness to bend history itself, but each of us can change a small portion of events, including at a Mm -hmm. speaking event, one lady's life. To imagine yeah, something yeah. even greater through that life going forward. You and I share a mutual friend. His name is Tim Neiman. He works at a company called Edward Jones. It's uh, an organization you and I both had the honor of, of presenting to. You yes. also have an uncle. So not only does Tim work there, my friend, but you have an uncle that works at Jones. And he had a question for yes. you. Uh, oh, yay. I know. Inside information on this one. Uh, none of us can do life by ourselves. Can you share a time, Jess, when someone asked the question, what more can I do that helps you through a tough time? I think leaning on community, finding the like-minded people. I think the clearer you become about your intentions and the impact that you want in the world, the more you'll attract the people that have those same intentions and then the less tolerance you'll have for the people that don't. Right. And so I think becoming clear about those intentions, building that community and then hanging on to it, supporting them is one of the best things that you can do. You have invested the last decade in growing this business and serving others and shipping headbands all around the world. And now in writing this book and promoting it through podcasts and speaking and everything else that you're doing, 
What do you hope that people receive when they read your book, when they hear your, you speak, when they wear one of your headbands? I hope with any of this, like you said, the book, the headband, that you are enough to make a difference. So many times we feel like we have to cross all these boxes in order to be qualified or reach a certain title or a certain level of paycheck. But where we are right now, the courage to begin where you are is the key to, to success. A lot of think, times we think it's something else, but it's really just the courage to begin right where you're standing. So Jess, we have seven questions that tether all of our guests together. But before I get to the Live Inspired Seven, I got to ask about your boys and the Airstream. <laughs> uh, wh- wh- what's the best part about cruising through life in that Airstream and uh, with your boys? Boys, my husband, Jake, my poodle, Ollie. <laughs> I think that the best part about traveling in an Airstream is to be someplace different all the time, to be able to see the country that we're in, to be able to travel to speaking engagements, hospital visits, but then to be in the same bed every night. That's a really cool part, is you have the familiarity of like a home base despite all the motion around you. Awesome. So there are seven questions that have been asked of all of the guests we brought into the Live Inspired podcast. And the first one is always... What is the best book you've ever read? Recently, actually, I read That'll Never Work by Mark Randolph. He's a good mentor of mine. He's the co-founder of Netflix. I met him at a speaking engagement. And it is one of those books. If you liked Shoe Dog or, you know, any of those really gritty entrepreneurial stories, I mean, he makes everyone believe that it could be them. And so That'll Never Work by Mark Randolph is one I really enjoyed. You know what? I've I've not read that. I am going to uh, on your oh, advice. So that sounds like a great book. I will send it to you myself. He, it is a great book. What is one positive characteristic, one trait that you possessed as a child that you wish you exhibited as brilliantly and as brightly today? I would say no shame. You know how kids just walk up to someone and (laughs) hug them or say, what's your name? It's like, imagine if we didn't carry shame around when we just talk to people. Like, you know, when you're standing in the elevator and everyone's looking at the numbers right in front of you, it's like, what if you just turned around and asked how someone's day was? And so I catch myself kind of going into my hermit crab ways and I'm like, it'd be great to just have no shame sometimes. So I'm working on a book right now called In Awe, and it's actually about how to return to that childlike wonder where you have the audacity to ask someone what their name is or how their day is going or ask bigger questions or walk into the day with that zest that we had naturally, that we we lose. You talked about skinning your knees earlier. Like, well, before we skinned our knees, how were we? Yeah. Have you ever spoken to kids before? Oh, man. It's my favorite group. Me too. It doesn't keep the lights on, but I love it. Yes. They always raise their hands at the end (laughs) when they have questions hands shoot up and you talk to a room full of adults and it's like you have to pry their hands in the air and I'm like when did we stop raising our hands Dude, you know? you're, you're stealing my introduction. I mean, that, that is literally almost word for word where the intro begins. Like, why what? do we stop participating? And what yeah. might happen if we returned? Oh, that's awesome. I can't wait to read that. Oh, well, I can't wait to read. Uh, that will never work. Looking forward to it. So, yeah. Jess, if your Airstream or your home caught fire and all living things are out and you have an opportunity to grab one item, what would you grab? What's the one thing you would grab? I don't know why this just popped into my head, but... 
I have this really funny picture of my family when my sister and I were kids and we're in this photo booth. And it's a series of four pictures that I keep on my fridge that I just think is like, it just makes me laugh every single time I look at it. And I would grab that picture. That's awesome. If you could sit on a bench overlooking a beach and have a long conversation with anyone living or dead, who would you want to have seated right next to you on that bench? Well, besides you, of course, um, Sarah Blakely. (laughs) Uh, Sarah Blakely is, she's the person for me who I want to be for others. She humanized the hustle. She made the scrappiness of entrepreneurship normal for me. And if I could be like that for someone else, um, that would be amazing. But Sarah is, is my queen, as I like to call her. Awesome. What's the best advice Sarah or your uncle or your parents, your grandfather, anybody else that you respected ever gave you? So the, the succinct question is this, what is the best advice you've ever received? Say yes and figure it out. You know, so there were so many times where I was like, oh, I need to know who's there. I need to know what kind of return I'm going to get on my time. And sometimes if you just want to do something, just say yes and you'll figure it out later. And I've done that quite a few times and time and time again, it has worked out. A dear friend, he's been on our show. I love him. His name is Travis Thomas. He spent years in improv, mm. like, like a comedian. And he's a really bright guy. But he, he, as a comedian, the way it works is you go back and forth and the response is always yes. So if you and mm-hmm. I are doing a little improv, so like, you know, Jess and John are in an Airstream and I turn it over to you <laughs> and you go, yes, and? And so you always have to respond yes. And the conversation goes forward. The story gets better and life gets richer. So I think Absolutely. to your point is if you have the audacity of saying yes, the, the answer comes into sight. Not usually when you say the word, but give it time. Keep moving forward. Yeah. I actually talk about that in Chasing the Bright Side. I took improv comedy when I was getting into speaking. I'm like, maybe this will help me be more loose on stage, but it really helped me give such a life lesson. I mean, so many of us live in the yes, but. I'm like, yes, that'd be great, but mm-hmm. I don't know if it's me. But if we can live in yes and, where we build on the expansiveness of all the possibilities, then I wonder what would have happened if it all worked out. And that's a cool place to live. That is a cool place. Speaking of cool places, what was the cool place you were living at age 20 and what advice would you tell yourself? So what advice would you tell yourself at age 20? So age 20, I was in Raleigh at North Carolina State University. Go Wolfpack. Fresh on my business. Yeah, go Wolfpack. Thank you. And I think that was when I was still hearing crickets. And I would tell myself after starting my business, like, okay, what am I doing this right? What's what's happening? And I would tell myself, just because you hear crickets doesn't mean no one's listening. Mm. Keep putting your truth out there. Keep going after what you believe in. And eventually people will find you. Well, just people have found you. And I've had the honor of hanging out with you now during this episode and, and in your books and in your podcast and in your works and videos, your TED Talk, it's all great. Thank you. It has been said, though, that all great people can have their lives summed up in one sentence. Jess Ekstrom, how would you like your one sentence to read? The girl who went for it. <laughs> Here lies it. <laughs> the girl who went for it. You went for it and you took a lot of us along for the ride. I want to thank you for your headbands, for your impact, for your joy for your yes and for spending a little bit of your day with us. Thanks, John. And thanks for using your platform to share stories like mine. I really appreciate it. Where can we learn more about your work? 
Yes, you can go to chasingthebrightside.com if you'd like to get the book and learn more about me. Um, It's also available at Walmart and Barnes & Noble. Find me on Instagram at Jess Ekstrom or go to headbandswithhope.com and get some headbands. My friends, get yourself some headbands. Get yourself that book and get yourself inspired. That is the great Jess Ekstrom. I am John O'Leary, and today is your day. Live inspired. Before we leave you today, I wanted to share some awesome news with you. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, listeners, leaders, and friends, drum roll, please. Come on. My newest book, the follow-up to On Fire, is called In Awe. And In Awe hits bookshelves in May of 2020. Many of you already knew that this was coming because more than 1,500 of you voted on the cover design. I'm certainly grateful for that. But you may not know what the trigger to write this book was in the first place. Well, I wrote it. The inspiration behind it was for my kids. You see, my kids have inspired me to recapture and to harness my childlike senses of wonder in order to become a little bit more engaged, successful, fulfilled, and joyful in life. In this world of negative news cycles and loneliness as an epidemic, chronic struggle of doing more and more and more with less and less and less, the book In All will provide us the tools to help us rediscover the childlike qualities of wonder, of curiosity, of openness, and of daringness that allow us to live more fully, to be a little bit more playful, and to be way more joyful in the way we live and lead forward. And in this season of giving, there is no better time than right now to pre-order a copy of In Awe. The book is going to remind you what we once so freely enjoyed and how returning to it will positively transform our communities, our organizations, our families, and our lives. For a limited time, I'm including an interactive copy of In Awe, the playbook with all pre-orders. This In Awe playbook provides hours of activities giving you the opportunity to start implementing some of the lessons as you joyfully await May 2020's release of the book In Awe. So my friends, I encourage you right now to hit pause on the podcast and visit me right now online. Here we are. Visit me at www.readinawe.com. I'm going to say that one more time. I want to make sure you are able to visit me. So here we go. www.readinawe.com. Go there today and pre-order your copy of In Awe to ensure your In Awe playbook is delivered before the holiday season. Again, it is readinawe.com. You're going to love the playbook. You are going to love the book. And after you read it, you're going to even more so love your life. Get ready for it, my friends.